We're reading from Deuteronomy chapter 1, down to verse 7, and then we pick up again in verse 26 and head down to chapter 2, verse 7. These are the words Moses spoke to all Israel in the wilderness east of the Jordan, that is, in the Arabah, opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Azeroth, and Dizahab. It takes 11 days to go from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea by the Mount Seir Road. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses proclaimed to the Israelites all that the Lord had commanded him concerning them. This was after he had defeated Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, and at Edrai, who defeated Og, king of Bashan who reigned in Ashtaroth. East of the Jordan in the territory of Moab, Moses began to expound this law, saying, The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, You've stayed long enough at this mountain. Break camp and advance into the hill country of the Amorites. Go to all the neighbouring peoples in the Arabah, in the mountains, in the western foothills, in the Negev, and along the coast, to the land of the Canaanites, and to Lebanon as far as the great river, the Euphrates. See, I have given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their descendants after them. Picking up on verse 26. But you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord hates us, so he's brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. They say the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. Then I said to you, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God, who is going before you, will fight for you, as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the wilderness. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you, as a father carries his son, all the way you went until you reached this place. In spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God, who went ahead of you on your journey, in fire by night and in a cloud by day, to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way you should go. When the Lord heard what you said, he was angry and solemnly swore, no one from this evil generation shall see the good land I swore to give to your ancestors, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh. He will see it and I will give him and his descendants the land he set his foot on, because he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. Because of you, the Lord became angry with me also, and said, you shall not enter it either, but your assistant Joshua, son of Nun, will enter it. Encourage him, because he will lead Israel to inherit it. And the little ones that you said would be taken captive your children who do not yet know good from bad, they will enter the land. I will give it to them 
and they will take possession of it. But as for you, turn around and set out toward the desert along the route to the Red Sea. Then you replied, oh, we have sinned against the Lord. We will go up and fight as the Lord our God commanded us. So every one of you put on his weapons, thinking it easy to go up into the hill country. But the Lord said to me, tell them, do not go up and fight because I will not be with you. You will be defeated by your enemies. So I told you, but you would not listen. You rebelled against the Lord's command, and in your arrogance you marched up into the hill country. The Amorites who lived in those hills came out against you. They chased you like a swarm of bees and beat you down from Seir all the way to Hormah. You came back and wept before the Lord, but he paid no attention to your weeping and turned a deaf ear to you. And so you stayed in Kadesh many days, all the time you spent there. Then we turned back and set out toward the wilderness along the route to the Red Sea, as the Lord had directed me. For a long time we made our way around the hill country of Seir. Then the Lord said to me, you have made your way around this hill country long enough. Now turn north. Give the people these orders. You are about to pass through the territory of your relatives, the descendants of Esau who live in Seir. They will be afraid of you, but be very careful. Do not provoke them to war, for I will not give you any of their land, not even enough to put your foot on. I have given Esau the hill country of Seir as his own. You are to pay them in silver for the food you eat and the water you drink. The Lord God, the Lord your God, has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He has watched over your journey through this vast wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you and you have not lacked anything. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Sally. Good evening, church. Nice to see you. Today is a Anzac Day, and I do think it's right that we stop and remember. I think often we're slow to remember. We're quick to forget. It's right that we stop and remember the, the sacrifices that those men and women made for us, that we remember what it cost them so that we can sit here today in freedom, that we remember with gratitude all those who went before us and fought for us. At the going down of the sun and in the morning, we will remember them, lest we forget, lest we forget. During God's providence, I love the way God works. In God's providence, that is our theme for tonight. Remembrance, lest we forget. The phrase actually comes from Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9. God says, only be careful and watch yourselves closely, lest you forget. Be careful in case you forget the things that you have seen or the things that God has done. Because the human condition is this, that we are quick to forget, we're slow to remember. We are slow to remember 
who God is and what he has done, the promises he's made. He's so faithful. God is so faithful to us. He does not change even when we fail. God is faithful even when we forget. Have you heard the phrase, history repeating itself? It is true. God's people keep making the same mistakes again and again and again because we don't learn. We don't learn from the past. We don't remember. We do forget. And when we forget, there's this long, slow drift. And if you forget, you find yourself so, so far away from God. You know that um, Harvard University in the US, it was established, it was founded to train up evangelical gospel ministers who would take the gospel down the east coast of, us, of America. But they've drifted so far away from that, there's hardly a hint of the gospel today because they've forgotten. They've forgotten who they are. Here in Sydney, we have many Anglican schools who were founded so that as we educate boys and girls, we can make sure that the gospel is presented. But for many of those schools, they've drifted so far away from that, they've forgotten who they are. Organisations like Bernardo's or Habitat for Humanity or Doctors Without Borders doing great work. But they were founded on the gospel, on Christian traditions, but many have drifted. Same in church. We don't learn from church history we make the same mistakes of legalism and elitism and pharisaicalism and liberalism. And there are many, many, many churches who were once thriving like we are today, but today they sit empty, empty buildings. Why? Because the people in those churches became arrogant and proud and they forgot God. Lest we forget. I call this first sermon, Choose Remembrance. Choose to remember all that God has done. Choose to remember the mistakes that God's people made in the past because that's why they're here in Scripture, so we can learn. It's one reason I'm excited to teach Deuteronomy. I'm really excited by Deuteronomy. To be honest, I wasn't. Two or three months ago, I thought it was dull and boring. But as I've studied, I thought, no, no, this is exciting. This is important. This is awesome. We call this series The God of the Ages because God does not change. And God says, I will choose you. I will keep you. But please obey me. So open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 1 on page 149. 1 verse 1. These are the words Moses spoke to all Israel in the wilderness east of the Jordan. So this book is written in about 1400 BC by Moses, verse 1, the, the greatest leader in the Bible apart from Jesus. And he's now 120 years old. And you thought the queen was old. He's about to die. He's about to hand over his leadership to, to Joshua, son of Nun. And this book, we have the three last sermons that Moses ever preached over 40 days of his life. Three passionate sermons where he is pleading with God's people, do not forget me. He's urging them to experience all the blessings that he's promised by living these distinctive holy lives. These are the words, the first four, first four words of Deuteronomy. These are the words. That's what this book is called in the Hebrew Bible. Devarim is called. These are the words. It's a weird name, isn't it? Devarim. No weirder than Deuteronomy. 
Uh, Deuteronomy is made of two words. Deutero, which means second, and nomos means law. Second law. So Moses is, is recapping the law that was given at Sinai, applying it, instructing it. Why is he doing that? Because this is the second generation. The first generation have all died. They've all passed away except for Moses and Joshua and Caleb. They all died in the wilderness. And Moses now gathers the next generation. And verse 1, they are standing on the east side of the Jordan River in the Arabah. They're looking across to the promised land, the land that God promised back to their forefathers. But here's the thing. They've stood here before. 38 years before, they stood in exactly the same place. Imagine me standing down in Kiribati, overlooking the harbour with my four boys surrounding me tonight, overlooking this beautiful water across to Sydney Harbour. Now, now fast forward to 2060, 2061, and I'm dead and buried. And my four boys gather again in exactly the same spot, and, and Sam is in his mid-50s. And Micah's in his late 40s. And those four boys stand there and say, we've been here before, haven't we? Do you remember that day? Deja vu. And Moses is saying, you've been here before, kids, but they're now grown up. They're now in their 40s and 50s. And he's saying, please don't make the same mistake that your dad's made or your mum's made. Please don't forget, learn from your history. So Moses gathers them and says, look, we're back to conquer this land, but there's a river to cross, there's a mountain to climb, there are unknowns and uncertain. This is scary stuff. They've got to believe that God will do it, that God is faithful. Because the previous generation did not believe that. Look at verse 2, a top tip for reading your Bible. Don't ignore the verses in brackets, often important. Verse 2, it takes 11 days to go from Horeb to Gadesh Barnea by the Mount Sea Road. So Horeb is the mountain range, and one of those mountains is Mount Sinai, where God spoke that law. And God said, go back to, to go from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea. It takes 11 days on foot. Two to three million people walking day after day for 11 days, and they will get from Sinai to the promised land. Now look at verse 3. In the 40th year after they left Sinai, Not 11 days, but 40 years. A journey that should have taken them 11 days took 40 years. What happened? This is what happened. God's people disobeyed. And God's people doubted. And God's people complained and whinged and attacked God. And they they suffered the consequence of their rebellion. They wandered for 38 years in the desert. And the entire generation died. And Moses says, please don't forget that. Please learn. He says, you've seen, verse 4, you've seen how God defeated Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan. You've seen God's power. You've seen the battle belongs to God. Learn your lessons. That is the book of Deuteronomy. Don't forget what God has done, and don't forget what he will do. The, The outline is very simple for Deuteronomy. There are three speeches, three sections. Chapters 1 to 4, he reviews the past. Chapters 5 to 26 is the requirements of the present. Chapters 27 to 34 is a readiness for the future. 
1 to 4, what God has done in the past. 5 to 26, what God will do in your present. 27 to 34, what God promises for your future. Look back, look up, and look forward. They're about to enter the promised land. It's a land which is going to be luscious, full of milk and honey, bountiful, beautiful. But here's the problem. Other people already live in that land. And there's other people in the land don't know God. And there's other people in the land, they live a different life. They think differently. They live differently. And the temptation for God's people as they enter that land is what? Is that they would compromise and they'd assimilate. And they'd start to think and live like the world, not like God's word. Spot the similarities today? I hope you know that we as Christians are in the minority today. And yet we live in a world where people think differently and live differently and they don't know God. And the temptation for us as God's people is to compromise or to assimilate. And before you know it, you're more like the world than you are than God's word. He says, please don't do that. Look back, look up and look forward. Well, three things for you tonight, three things to remember. Here's the first. Lest we forget God's power. Lest you forget God's power. Now, we sing about this. And we love to belt out, you know, God is able, he's on our side, he will make a way. Greater than all we ask and all we seek, he's done great things. We sing about it. And we talk about it all the time. One of the most quoted verses in this church is Ephesians, where it says, God is able to do immeasurably more than you ask or imagine. We're saying God is the all-powerful one. And we sing about it, we talk about it, we, we pray about it. One of the most common prayers is that we would do things in his strength, not in our strength. And so we claim to believe that God is all-powerful, the almighty one. But then life happens. We face battles in life, don't we? The battle against the world, the flesh and the devil. We're surrounded by temptations, we're seduced by sin and, and Satan whispers in our ears. And then you read God's word and God asks you, you know, commands you to do something that seems so hard. You think, I can't do this. When God's word tells you to forgive someone who has wronged you, you say, I can't do that. When God's word tells you to get rid of bitterness or to, to witness to your family, you say, I can't do that, God. When God's word says, be content in a heartbreaking circumstance, I can't, I can't do that, God. And that attitude, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this. And we shift into to self-sufficiency mode, my plans and my ways, and, and I'll do things which I know I can do. Or that sulky mode where you say, no, no, God, that's impossible. I can't do that. And we are so like that first generation of Israelites, doubting God's power. Look at verse 6. The Lord our God said to us at Sinai, at Horeb, you stayed long enough at this mountain. So God's people spent two years around Sinai learning the law and building the tabernacle. But now it's time to move. Now it's time to go and to conquer the land. They were getting too comfortable, I think. God never likes it when we're too comfortable, does he? A quick aside here. When we got that phone call from Macquarie Park last year, invited us to go and plant a church there. The comfortable thing to do would be to say, oh, thanks, but no thanks. And we love church in Kirby, we love church in Newtown Bay, you know, we, we love our family here. And God never calls us to be comfortable. 
He says, there's work to do, there's people to win. So God says to his people, break camp, verse 7, get up, say your goodbyes, and advance into the hill country of the Ammonites. Amorites. Now that is big, that's massive. God is asking his people to leave their comforts and to go to a land full of opposition and danger and battles, and it's scary. So they must remember that God is able, that God is powerful, that God is the mighty one, and God never asks us to do anything without equipping us with the power to do it. But God's people don't believe that. Verse 19, they reached Kadesh Barnea, they reached the edge of the promised land, the gateway to the promised land. And, and Moses says to them, okay, you've reached the place now. Verse 21, See, the Lord your God has given you this land. Go up, take possession. Here it is. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. What you've got to be scared about. God's the one, God's able, God's powerful. But they were afraid and they were discouraged. You know, when a task seems too big for you and you're crippled by fear, you either fight or you flight. You either fight, you say, okay, I can do this, put on my armour, I can be strong enough, I can be powerful enough, I can do this. Or you flee, you run away. And the problem, I think, for God's people is they looked at this, at this, this task of conquering this land through this lens of self, through the eyes of fear, not faith. If they put on the lens of faith and said, no, God's got it and God is able then it could have been very different. And the Bible says, no, God goes before you and God will go ahead of you. But they said, no, 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 we will go ahead and we'll make our own plans, thank you, God. Verse 22, all of you came to me, to Moses, and said, let's send men ahead to spy out the land. Why did they do that? God spied out the land, it's a good land. Oh, well, let's bring back a report, a human report about the route we're to take. Why? Why would you do that? God's told them the route to take. See, see, when you read verses 22 about a human plan to spy out the land, you think, oh, that makes sense. That's wise. It's not wise at all. It's unbelief. It's fear. They're not taking God as his word. They come back, verses 20 to 25, and they say, oh, it's a, it's a good land. It's a good land, verse 25, the Lord, the Lord our God has given. Of course it's a good land. It's the land that God promised, the land of blessing. But whilst they say it's good in verse 25, all they can see with their eyes through that lens of fear is the obstacles. And so verse 26, you are unwilling to go up. They rebelled, that's a horrible word, they rebelled against the command of the Lord. And they grumbled, verse 27, they whinged and they complained and they complained against God and they said, the Lord hates us. He doesn't love us, he hates us. And the Lord, verse 27, has brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Do they really think that? Do they really think that God who, who brought them out of Egypt on eagles' wings is there to hate them and to destroy them? Why are they thinking like that? Here's why. Because when you live through the lens of fear and self-sufficiency, all you can see is the mountains ahead of you. Everything's in a negative. Verse 28, the people are stronger and taller than we are. 
And the cities are large with walls up to the sky. I love that exaggeration. Walls up to the sky. And we even saw giants, Anakites there. I think we do this all the time. When God asks us to do something that we think is really hard, we see everything through the lens of that's not possible. And God commands you to go and make a disciple of your unbelieving family. Say, oh, I, I don't want to do that. I can't do that. When God's word tells you to get rid of all unwholesome talk that comes out of your mouth, I can't do that. When God's word tells you to throw off sin that hinders you, your sin of lies or lust or selfishness or pride, I can't do that. No, you can't. You can't do it. But God can. God is able. I'm not minimizing how they felt. They were terrified, verse 29. But God says, do not be terrified. Don't be afraid of those big, tall giants. Why? Because of verse 30, the Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you. You're not fighting this battle in your own strength. The Lord fights it for you. The battle belongs to God. So many times in Deuteronomy it says, the Lord fights for you. Do you believe that? that God fights for you. He's able to conquer all these battles that you can't win in your own strength. How dare we limit the power of God? Verse 30, the Lord will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the wilderness. Have these people really forgotten what they'd seen God do in Egypt? And then before their very eyes, they saw the power of God. They saw God bring plagues on these nations of boils and frogs and locusts and hailstorms and destroy the Egyptians but protect his people. They'd seen that. They'd seen the power of God as God passed over all the Israelite family with the blood around the doorpost but killed the firstborn Egyptian child. They'd seen the power of God there. And with their own eyes, they'd seen the power of God as God divided those waters and took them through dry land out of Egypt. And then the waters came crashing over the enemy. They'd seen the power of God. But they'd forgotten. They were quick to forget. And so are we. I love this quote. 10,000 mercies are forgotten, are quickly forgotten in a single moment of pain. That is true. We are so quick to forget God's power when the obstacle seems so hard and a mountain seems so high. We've seen God's power in the scriptures. God calmed the storm and healed the sick and raised the dead. We see the power of God at the cross of Christ where, where Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he defeated sin, he defeated Satan. We've just celebrated the, the power of God in the resurrection. The tomb was empty, the stone was rolled away, the body was gone. He's risen. And we celebrate the power of God, that the Spirit of God lives in us, the Holy Spirit, the powerful Holy Spirit. And we love to say, you know, greater is he who lives in us than he's in the world. We love to say that. But do you believe it? Oh, but I'm so weak, you say. I'm so weak. That's right, you are weak. But what does the Bible say? That God's power is made perfect in your weakness. Because if you were fighting in your own strength, that you would get all the glory. And God's people need to learn that he is the powerful one. He is the one who is able, not you, not me. 
You know, when the missionaries were kicked out of China, why did the gospel flourish and why did, why did churches boom? Because God is the powerful one, not human beings. As I look back on my Christian life, I, I jot down all the times that God has come through in the most impossible situations and God is reminding me that I am the powerful one, as in God is the powerful one, not me. We've got to go through life, not, not through the lens of fear, but the lens of faith. Like Caleb, Verse 36, the man who followed the Lord wholeheartedly. He saw exactly the same thing. He saw the giants. He saw the the strong cities, but he he chose to believe. So will you choose that? You choose to live each day believing in the power of God. Number two, lest we forget his presence. Lest we forget God's presence with us. I'm sure you felt this one. I'm sure you felt times in your life where you think, oh, God's left me. God's left me. Where's God? I'm all abandoned. I'm all alone. And the book of Deuteronomy just tells us again and again and again, God is always with you. He goes ahead of you. His arms are underneath you. He leads you and he carries you. So come back to chapter 1, verse 6. The Lord, our God. Those four words are so important. The Lord, our God. The word for Lord there is Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God. It's a personal God, the relational God. He is the God who says, I'm your God, you're my people, you're my treasured possessions. I, I care for you, I know you, I will carry you. One of my favorite verses in Deuteronomy is Deuteronomy 33, verse 27. It says, the eternal God is your refuge and underneath are his everlasting arms. But God's people forgot that. And God's people doubted that. And they questioned his presence in their life, which is crazy because they'd experienced a very tangible presence of God. Verse 32 of chapter 1. In spite of this, you didn't trust in the Lord your God who went ahead of you on your journey in fire by night and in a cloud by day. Remember that? The cloud by day, the fire by night, that visible, tangible sign of God's presence. Verse 33, to search out places for you to camp in. Didn't they stop and think, why was it they always got the perfect camping ground? That was God going before them. And to show you, verse 33, the way that you should go, did they they ever stop and think, how come we haven't faced more opposition or dangers or sores? It was God going before them, God leading them, God providing them, God protecting them. And in the wilderness, verse 31, In the wilderness, God kept on providing water and manna and quail. He protected from danger and sword and death and disease because our God cares. He really cares and he carries us. Love verse 31. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. Every second... Your heavenly Father has his everlasting arms under you, carrying you even through the darkest of days. Over Christmas, I took three of my boys on a walk around from Balmoral Beach all the way around to Chinaman's Beach. Have you ever done that around the rocks? It's a beautiful walk, except I forgot that the tide changes and starts to come in. I reached this point where the, the water got to about this high. 
And Elijah, my third son, is about this high. <laughs> so what do I as a father do at that moment? Come on, son. You can do this. You're big enough. You're strong enough. You're tall enough. Come on, suck it up. No, I just leant down and said, come on, Elijah. Hop on my back. And I piggybacked him. And we waded through the water and we clambered over rocks and we arrived at Chinaman's Beach. Now, as you face the mountains in life and the rivers to cross, your heavenly Father does not say to you, come on, suck it up, son. You're strong enough, you're, but you can do this. God, your heavenly Father says, come on, son. Hop on. Let me carry you. Do you believe that? Do you believe there's nothing that you go through that your father's everlasting arms aren't carrying you through it? He never left them. Even though they rebelled, even though they failed, he never left them. 2 verse 7, the Lord your God has blessed you in all the works of your hands. He's watched over your journey. His eyes were always on you through this vast wilderness every day of those 38, 40 years. These 40 years the Lord your God has been Look at those two words, with you. And you haven't lacked anything. God is with you. Do you know the Greek for God is with you? God with us. It's a word called Emmanuel, which is one of the names that Jesus was given when he was born, God with us. And when Jesus comes into the world, God is saying, just remember you're never alone, I'm always with you. And then when Jesus left this world, he says to his disciples, I'm leaving, but I'm going to send another counsellor, the Holy Spirit, who will be, what's the next two words? Who will be with you forever, so you're never alone. Do you believe that? Oh, but Paul, you say, there's mountains in my life that are so hard, and I always feel alone. No, no, God hasn't left you. It's just that you haven't run to him or trusted him. Remember the, the story of the, the boy who is in a house that's on fire. He's on a first floor window and his father's on the ground floor window. And the, and the son is there saying, help, help, help. And the, the dad's on the ground saying, just jump, son, just jump, son. And there's smoke everywhere. And the son is saying from the first floor windows, but, but dad, I can't see you, I can't see you. And the father is saying, you may, not, you may not be able to see me, but I can see you, and that's all that matters. I can see you, so jump, trust me. And there are moments in life where it feels like God has left us and we can't see him. But you've got to believe that even though you can't see him, he always sees you. So trust him. And speaking personally, there are things that God has taken me through in life, grief, pain, sadness, where... I've just seen his presence in very tangible ways, a person at the right time, a peace I can't explain. In, in many ways, it's through those darkest of days or the biggest of mountains, I've experienced his presence in deeper ways still. So don't lose sight of God's power or his presence, and lastly, his promises. Lest we forget God's promises. It's D.R. Moody who said, God, God never made a promise that was too good to be true. <laughs> Love that. God never made a promise that was too good to be true. It's always true. God always keeps his promise. It always does. What's the promise here? Come back to chapter 1, verse 8. 
God says, see, I've given you the land. I've given it to you. It's yours. It's a gift for me. 20 times in Deuteronomy, God says, I have given you this land. That's the promise. This vast, beautiful, luscious, blessed land that God is giving for their taking. It's the land, verse 8, that he swore to give to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and their descendants after them. Remember that? God took one man, Abraham, and said, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'll give you a land, I'm going to bless you. Sounds crazy, one man into a great nation. He says, your descendants are going to be numerous as the stars in the sky. And God kept that promise. 1 verse 10. The Lord your God has increased your numbers so that today you are as numerous as the stars in the sky. Tick. God's kept that one. But what about the land, you say? Well, here it is. God is saying, here's the land. It's yours for the taking. All you have to do is trust me and obey me. And here's the blessing, verse 11. May the Lord, the God of your ancestors, increase you a thousand times and bless you as he has promised. But they don't trust him. They don't trust his promises. They disobey. And because of that, they are disciplined. There's always consequences for our disobedience. And because of that, they wander. And because of their disobedience, they do not enter the promised land. The next generation does. So here's what the Spirit has been teaching me this week. I wonder, I just wonder whether we as a church are experiencing the promises of God as we could or we should. Do you know the original boundaries of the promised land, the original size of the promised land? It's massive. Verse 7 is an important verse. It's a bizarre verse, but it's important. He says, go to the hill country of the Amorites and... Go to all the neighbouring peoples in the Arabah, in the mountains, in the western foothills, in the Negev, along the coast, to the land of the Canaanites and to Lebanon, as far as the great river, the Euphrates. That's massive. Hope you can grasp this. The the land that God promised them was 800,000 square kilometres. From Egypt to Lebanon to Iraq, it's a massive land. Now understand this. At the height of Israel's obedience, under King David, David, the height of their obedience, God's people had only conquered one-tenth of that land, just 80,000 square kilometres. There's another nine-tenths to be conquered. There's another nine-tenths they could experience. Why did they stop at the one-tenth? I think they were too easily satisfied. I think they had low expectations. And I think we're the same as a church today. God in his word has given 8,000 promises. 8,000 promises in the word of God. And we are so easily satisfied with just knowing two or three of them. And we're missing out. I take that promise from the Apostle Paul that, that God has given you every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. But too many of us are satisfied with, oh, I'm forgiven by God, as if that's it. Much more than that, to have every spiritual blessing in Christ, it means that you, have, you are a child of God, you have this intimacy with the Father, and you can go to him for anything, you, that sin has no hold on you. 
that God helps you and God guides you, that you can experience his peace and his joy and his love and his wisdom and his strength and his power. He promises to, to deliver you from your enemies, to keep you for eternal life. And that's just the spiritual promises. Spurgeon says this, most Christians, as to the river of their experience of God, have only waded up to their ankles. Others have gotten up to their knees in that river. A few make it up to the breast. But a few, and oh, how a few, find it a river to swim in whose depth they cannot touch. So let me ask you, what's your experiences with the promises of God? Are you satisfied with an ankle-deep wading? You have a limited experience of the promise of God because you don't know the promises of God or you have a very, 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 very easily satisfied promises of God. He's promising more wisdom, more deliverance, more joy, more peace, more power. But your experience of God will be limited by the limits that you place on him. Oh, he's able. He will keep every single promise. Everyone's a yes in Christ Jesus. But you don't experience those promises because you're too easily satisfied. That's the word God gave to me this week. Lest we forget. Lest we forget God's power, God's presence, and his promises. At the going down of the sun and in the morning, we will remember Please remember who God is, what he's done, and what he promises to do. Because he's always faithful. He's always faithful, even when we fail. So let me pray. Father, thank you for reminding us of your faithfulness. You are all-powerful always present and your promises are always yes and so we ask Lord right now for your forgiveness for the times when we've doubted your power when we've lived in fear not in faith we're sorry for the times when we've questioned your presence with us we've like the Israelites we've said we're alone where are you God and we're sorry for how few of your promises that we even know or believe. And we're sorry for the times when we question whether you will keep your promises. And so we come before you tonight as the faithful God. You're always faithful, even when we fail. We want to thank you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name.